0: Listening to new information creates fresh connections in your brain and greater awareness. Shades of Life awakens your brain with new information through shared stories and programs from a variety of presenters, bringing multiple perspectives and adding to the whole.
1: Hello, I'm here live in our studio and looking forward to having a great evening. This is Parisha. And we're going to talk about near-death awakenings and how people actually handle some of the traumas that bring on such experiences in our life, along with actually discussing people who have had that experience through either accidents, surgeries, or just any situation you may have encountered. So we're going to be taking on some of that. And some of the details I'd like to cover from the weekend program we just had, which was a fantastic success. And it always amazes me to see how many people show up that are actually wanting uh, to discuss their near-death experiences, and in some cases, people who have actually gone the distance and had to be resuscitated. Some of the side effects of this is quite extraordinary. Not that I hope everybody thinks that they've got to go do this in order to have some of the gifts and the outcome, but to actually hear people share the experiences of how their intuitiveness increased, um, some of the visionary processes they would have after such an incident, uh, a lot of very, very uh, tuned and in-depth experiences with spirit after that. And we're not just talking about people who are in the spiritual community or go into phenomena and psychic perceptions and all of the other things that we find in some of the New Age communities. We're talking about people that... Most New Agers would call straights, which means people just doing the 9 to 5 and have no no experience other than maybe just their uh, life's routines of going to work, taking care of their family, caring as a homeowner, going to church on Sunday, and just living about as normal as a normal person can get, okay? And then all of a sudden, in walks an experience, and after that, this person is usually... Uh, becomes an unknown person to the family. Family members have discussed with me repeatedly their concerns for their loved one after such an incident because they begin to have what they call hauntings, which means they start seeing things that other people can't see. They hear things that other people are not hearing. Uh, They go into some kind of night traumas. I mean, there's a lot of effects after. I'm not always convinced that all of it's related to the near-death experience other than that maybe it pushed the brain into some recall that's always been there and latent because some of them will actually discuss things from their childhood. So if it has been a very abused person, a lot of the abuse that they've buried comes back up and then there's the necessity for additional, you know, going for some kind of sessions or some kind of treatments and, and activities that helps people confront such as that. So we want to discuss some of that, and I've asked people to call in tonight and to actually get involved with some of the conversation because it's not really something you can just stand in front of the room and talk about. It's actually something that you want people to engage in in actual conversation with you on that. Uh, So many of these things happen to uh, young people, And I've had the privilege of working with some young people this past weekend. uh, In fact, about 18 of them. And when I say young people, I'm talking about people under 14 years old that's actually had these near death experiences due to being hit by an automobile or or falling off their bicycles and getting head injuries and all these other things. And I think that in the, the spiritual community, these children would now be identified as some of the prodigy children uh, that we call by various names. And uh, the indigo children come to mind as one of them. And now these children are actually picking up perceptions and actually making projections that their families are terrified with. Uh, One mother actually told me that she didn't care what it took, that she's actually even considered shock therapy meaning putting the child in shock therapy to cause them to forget these experiences. Um, she's she's a very religious woman, and she feels that her child has now been intercepted by some evil force. The beautiful things that the child talks about don't sound like evil forces to me. The child's message is repeatedly being uh, brought forward as to care for the earth, to care for people, to exercise ultimate kindness, uh, to be a servant in the community, um, to respect the parents. Actually, uh, this child uh, in the privacy of our conversation expressed a great deal of compassion for the mother in as much as knowing that the mother is having some very frightful experiences with this. So the child is actually showing, as far as I'm concerned, more compassion for the situation than I feel the parent's able to at this time. You don't want to judge other people's uh, reaction to such as this because people can't understand what they can't understand. And if they've had no experience with it, guess what? They have no way to understand it. So to talk, to actually engage in trying to get these people to accept or to be a part of what you're experiencing Is just sometimes almost too traumatic even for these people so I talked to those like myself who have had these experiences and said unless the questions brought forward there's no need to really make the discussion and I find that most people who have had this experience they don't want to talk about it to other people Uh, they seem to be more relaxed talking to other people with the experience but they're not so willing to try and convey the experience and have people uh, be skeptical or have fear around it or other sets of judgments so I think that people who have undergone this have a sense of closeness to God and to the hereafter and then a lot of these uh, particular emotional things in our everyday life begins to be less important to them so them being understood is not as important as understanding and I uh, I think that everyone with or without a near-death experience could definitely benefit from putting that into the tapes and running that through your life. So basically what we're going to do is just help discuss what what are some of the questions that people have of people who've had this experience. I run into a lot in like with this weekend's program, uh, we dealt with, so where do we go from here? And... When we actually talk about the near-death experience and what the after-effects are, I've had people say to me, is it necessary to have these kind of traumatic experiences to have some advanced awakening or to actually move to a greater perspective of the realities of life? No, it isn't. It really isn't. I've seen magnificent work and progress done with people doing meditation, and definitely at this time, and the very reason I'm on this program, is because it's the mind's experience. When we start to actually involve ourselves with consciousness, and we start exploring the massive, the very massive part of our life in being, then there is such horizons that cannot ever be just limited to someone who's had to go over on the other side and come back. So these, uh, as humans, we're born with these abilities. They're innate in our body. Uh, There's many ways we can stimulate it. I've watched many yoga practices of the fires, the Kundalini fires, uh, actually bringing in people closer to a great uh, perspective of expanded thought. I've watched a lot of programs, and uh, I want to plug right now the people who do the journey work uh, that I've seen people actually help people get past locked in uh, particular parts of their life that once they get clear of that, suddenly perception and all kinds of abilities come up. So there, there are great opportunities out there to help you come to this awakening in yourself That doesn't involve trauma and accidents and all of that. So I would wish with all my heart that everybody have the more gentle awakening of that and not have to have the trauma effects of it. We we seem to move in life toward wanting to have more of the extraordinary. But then I don't believe in the extraordinary. I believe that it is the ordinary. I also understand and accept in my life and talking to many of the people over the weekend program that people have come to a place that money isn't what fulfills them. They're seeking answers of a self-discovery, a nature of self-discovery that's always been there. The desperateness of survival takes over in most people's life because that's what we're taught, and then we keep putting aside all these inclinations to actually have a greater reach of spiritual awareness and reality. When we realize that this material body and that this material life that we hold to and make so much importance of, that if I was looking at a wall that was a mile long, and I took a ballpoint pen and I walked over to that wall and stuck the pen on that wall and stepped back, how minute almost none existence would show on that wall of that ballpoint pen. That's what that body matter is all about. We are energy, and as energy, we're everything. What are we as energy? Well, if that would be one thousandth of of whatever, then we would be hundreds of thousands and millions of the whatever the energy forces are. So so we, we have to learn to... Tab the non-attachment. And I know for years, you know, there, there, people were exploring the Eastern uh, perspectives on spirituality and stuff, and people had problems with the word non-attachment. They felt like giving up their stuff was more than they possibly embraced in life. But when you've had the death experience and you come back, you realize there's no place there for for what we clutter our lives with here. And I don't just mean stuff. The more stuff that I see when I have friends and you go into their apartments and there's hardly room to sit down in that, that's a person trying to fill an emptiness that just cannot be filled with things. And then there are those people who actually have more of a zen kind of life, and I look to see if they're comfortable in the sparseness of that environment, and if they're not, they're pretentiously seeking that openness and that that it being in touch with. And so when we talk about non-attachment, we have to first look at the attachment we have for our body and that we become just this vessel of places, events, and things, and that we don't have any sense of the actual open range of massive realization and existence that we are. Yeah, some people tell me they believe that that's the whole experience of what life is. Uh, Being of Cherokee heritage and having an early life of exposure to a whole lot of the very spiritual essences of things, my experience is a little bit different than that with it uh, going into understanding what it is to do the Tibetan retreat and to study Buddhism where you're allowed only seven or nine possessions. There's such freedom in that. There's such freedom in that. That's not, you know, I have people come in and say, well, I don't really get into those things that, that you know, suffer scarcity or, you know, go through deprivation and everything. It's not about deprivation. It's about liberation, a, a liberty of not having to have all the stuff to take care of, just to having the essentials that make your life comfortable, to feed you, to keep you warm, to help keep you fresh and clean, and then to help you move into the activities of life. So these things become more important. And at the weekend event, I had people, there was about three quarters of the room that were very much on the wealthy end of the numbers and were had actually attended because they had this sense of, of thinking that in their early strive for success, money was the goal on everything. And at this point, they have these huge numbers of money, and that it's empty. Uh, Some that we talked to actually said they don't even care to get a financial report. They know that the bills are paid and everything is paid, and they try to stay busy at their businesses in order to have some sense of purpose. Uh, Some of them do a lot of travel to try and just – find something that they can touch that brings them back into feeling alive. And then they begin to experience the the almost uh, desire and drive to go back over into the state. So they're looking, a lot of them were looking for reasons to get back in touch and to make contact, to awaken again to some of the excitement of the test and the getting ahead and finding out what it, you know, like success is driving it. They don't have that drive anymore. So we have to realize then that it was pretentious and that that drive was simply survival mode. It wasn't happiness that we were seeking. And so we want to have some other people, uh, a wonderful person that I know, named Ian, calling in. Hello.
2: Yeah, hello. So how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. I think uh, I just wanted to comment on um, my experiences in some of the work I do working um, as a doctor and as a researcher in consciousness um, that I think more and more people, you know, are um, it's just really surprising to me um, just going to the point, your point that people sometimes seem to be uncomfortable talking about, you know, these kind of different experiences that they sometimes have, you know, but if you can get them talking about it in... um, you know, in environments such as what you're creating with this show, um, almost everyone, and I think in some of the research that people have done, almost everyone has had some kind of near-death or supernatural experience. Um, and I agree. you know, the, people just keep it keep it on the inside. Um, and I think it's a shame because you know, having experiences like that relates. Well, it's not just about you, but you know, we've all we've all lost people. We've all had people who, you know, um, have got sick or are going through big changes. And sometimes, you know, when you have these experiences, they they not only um, challenge the way you think, but they also give you revelations, you know, about um, how to see the world differently and in a in a better way. So I think um, definitely with uh, a lot of the... In, in the medical field anyway, um, doctors more and more are sort of being taught to be very open and to create an environment about, um, that people you know feel comfortable talking about things like this and um, I definitely think um, it's a good direction to go in
1: when you I have some questions on that uh, and I don't know how far extended your experience as a doctor has been with being at the bedside of people passing but in in those moments did you have any sense of them having any expanded awareness or feeling uh, that they were reacting to a presence that maybe you couldn't see. Like, uh, you know, many people who have had these experiences said in in the moment of passing over, they were aware that there was loved ones and light beings and all kinds of just really yummy feelings going on. And uh, as a doctor and you're there, you know, knowing that a person is in their final states of, of life, do you have ever have any sense of them being present with someone like that or or an experience of that so
2: yeah i think um i mean my um I've been really interested in in this area um, but I think one comment to make, especially my experiences as mainly a hospital doctor uh, one one problem with our system is you know we we're very afraid to confront you know that moment of of death and the idea the idea of death you know it's it's very scary to us and especially in a hospital where, you know, everything's under control and, um, you know, you've got your machinery and all your doctors and, you know, you do everything you can to keep things under control. The fact that someone is, you know, going to pass, going to die, um, you know, like the hospital doesn't deal with it very well. And what happens then is that I think it's not very good that we medicate people, you know, people think, Doctors and, and our institutions think that um, you know the process of death you know is always painful and is always something that you know we should try and help the person almost escape from. And so what I'm trying to say is, um, a lot of the experiences that I've had, you know, people unfortunately um, often are under the influence of narcotics or you know um, drugs that um, are there to keep them you know, unconscious um, to help Mm -hmm. them, you know, be more comfortable in this state. Um, So, in terms of, you know, having lots of experiences and and being witness to um, what people um, actually are going through as they pass through that moment of death, um, I have to say, you know, there's not not been many times where the person for me has been lucid. Um, But even still, you know, it's, it's still a very, you know, it's I guess for a lot of most people um, as you get older you will have a few experiences either with relatives or people you know who pass away that in general you don't know, have many sort of experiences. so it's it's still a very sacred moment you know um, that I find and personally myself I, I definitely you know there's definitely something there that you have a strong sense about and you know many of the nurses um, and people who I've worked with in the hospital setting you know, much more intuitive than, you know, you, you realize. And I often ask them, and no one thinks to ask them, and, and a lot of them have, you know, um, direct direct experience with the person just after they die, whether, whether it comes, you know, in an apparition or a voice. Um, and I think it's so much more um, common than we, we really think. Um, so myself, I definitely have, you know, when people have the time of passing, I, I've definitely, you know, experienced sensations of presence uh feelings of peace and even on their face you know a person you know it might be spooky to some but you know uh, after you deal with it for such a long so often as i had to you know when i worked in intensive care you know people will struggle and struggle and then there'll come a moment when you know it's it's just sort of peace and you sort of know at that point that um they're okay and and so that that's a good good moment but and definitely i know in um You know, some of the other studies, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she was a very famous um, doctor, I think she was in California, psychiatrist. And um, I guess it's a sign of the times because back then it was a very taboo subject. But after Mm -hmm. she died, there was a a CD released and she had actually compiled 2,000 records of um, children who had died and what happened. Yes. And um, definitely there were many, many experiences where... um, you know, there, were liberate, there was liberation, the children, you know, um, just as they were passing, saw family members who um, had already passed, you know, lights, I mean, all kinds of experiences. Um, so uh, there's definitely a lot of um, evidence and and case case stories out there about this topic. And um, I can maybe uh, send across the list some references if people are you know, interested in finding more about first-hand experiences with um, with,
1: with this. That's great. That's really great. I had the great privilege of working with Elizabeth for about four days and we maintained some contact over about seven years and she did a tremendous uh, inroads to helping people deal with this. Even in my own experiences and, and my near-death experiences have been numerous in this life. I I'm I feel I'm very lucky to still be here at 71. but. It, What I've learned is that the bedside of these loved ones that sitting there and family members as well as friends that are passing is that the room fills with people from the other side and I'm so happy now that we have the technology as well as the quantum science that's willing to actually check the environment and the energy level of the energy grids around people who are passing to realize that there is a gathering that happens and uh, but, and as you spoke about the drugs that are used in, in the final states of life, where doctors are trying to release this person's thought of pain or whatever, there is this place to where the, the actual entity or the soul or the whatever the many things I see it as the observer, the conscious observer of the body, actually is outside the body and is already in uh, you know engaged in communication or some kind of receptive uh, interaction with those that are in the unseen world or those who have come to help the transition. And it's a joyous and beautiful occasion. It is, you know, that we make it so morbid. And I had uh, a friend say to me, don't tell me you're going to talk about that morbid stuff on the radio tonight. You know, but it's not morbid to me. It's, It's that, you know, that these experiences and for us to have someone here to help you reach over there is extremely important, but not have someone sitting there in such a state of pain or, or remorse of themselves. so there you know we say, what can we do from this side in those occasions to actually just be there in a peaceful way with the person, knowing that they are already engaging with the transition of of leaving the body and knowing that it is a beautiful thing that's happened. I've seen people walk down the hallway and walk into the room that for a while, for a few seconds, I thought was really some family member on this side of the veil and only to see that it was someone who had already passed that had come to make sure they were there to help this one move over into that state. So there's so much yet to discover with that and i'm and i'm very happy that you come on and who we are talking to is dr. hean Nguyen, and uh he's definitely an, he's from Australia in case you hadn't picked up that little bit of an accent and uh he's actually been an m d in australia at, at pioneering on this side of the ocean in energy medicine and a whole lot of real up to the minute kind of exciting and wonderful things. So thanks so much for calling in. is always. There is a call on the line from Florida. Hello, Florida. Are you there? Florida's here. Okay. And yep. who are we talking to? You're talking to Reverend Mary Lois Schott. All right. Good to hear from you.
3: <laughs> Thank you. And I'm calling you from Largo, Florida.
1: All right. How's it down there? Moist and hot. Moist
3: and hot. Definitely.
1: Okay, well, we're out here in the Arizona desert, and it's dry and hot, so just we have in common the hot. <laughs> all right, so what would you like to add to our commentary tonight? What uh, Have you had any near-death experience yourself?
3: Yes, I have. I've had okay. several near-death experiences. Um, and the, the last one, excuse me?
1: I said several.
3: Several. Whoa, um, all right. The last one was probably the... Um, the most life changing for me, and uh, that was I was in my doctor's office and had a, had a uh, she thought I was having a brain a brain bleed and um, it ended up what they diagnosed it with in the end was a TIA but in the meantime transportation to the hospital um, I was into the light I I was I was over there they re- they had to resuscitate me before I they got me to the hospital but there is such a peace in that light. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember before before the light um, and the conversation I had with the doctor afterwards, I believed that I was, she had all these things she wanted me to do, like lift my leg and move my hands, and I believed that I was doing them. I could not understand why she wanted me to go to the hospital because I was doing everything she asked me. And then I took a breath, and I said, I'm not fighting this anymore. I'd already been told that I wouldn't live to be 45. And I had done everything that the doctors had asked me to do. And I just took this breath and I said, why am I fighting? And what am I fighting? And in that moment is when I saw the light. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And it was, like I said, it was so peaceful. And when I came out um, the other side, I had speech impediment. I had lost the use of the left side of my body Uh, and there were other things that had gone on and the doctors came in my room every day and said long term care long term care and I would shake my head no 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 I'm going home you know I, I would say that but they couldn't hear me they couldn't understand me and finally the doctors my husband at the time said she's coming home she wants to come home and he said if she can walk to the bathroom and back tomorrow she can go home and I did. And it was like uh, from that moment on, no matter what they said, that wasn't what was going to happen with me. Mm-hmm. I, I was taken home, and um, they everybody made the arrangements that they made. I went and jumped in my car as soon as everybody was gone, and I headed to a center where I knew they were having a gathering of healers. And what I learned in that weekend after coming home, when I sat with other people and I talked to other people, the people in the room who had had the most peace about them were the ones that had had similar experiences to mine mm-hmm. they just it was like there was no reason to be upset, and it was just very, very peaceful and Wonderful. from that point on, I had sat at many bedsides of many, many people since then who were who were passing on and listening to dr. Ian I, I know that in that moment when when it it's perceived that they take their last breath. It is so peaceful and tranquil, and it, it just, it's like I row, I ride the wave back to the other side, if that's what you want to call it, but it, it expands this consciousness within me when I'm with somebody that's crossing over. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's everybody's experience with with this or not, but that's, been my experience with um well
1: it, it's pretty much the you know i hate to kind of be flippant about it. it was kind of much the run-of-the-mill experience on that and right. basically lot most people now you had some traumatic physical outcome that could almost have been considered some stroke activity or something like that afterwards the cases that have that seem to have come back in a, in a a little bit more of a cautionary manner whereas those who kind of go in and come back and are just dropped right into reality the commonality in their statements is that they feel very detached and everything seems to be uh you know near non-existent to them so that basically uh they you know getting back in touch with the material world and with emotions and stuff seems to be the case in it and I thank you very much for calling in and sharing your experience. And uh, we'll be talking again, I hope. And uh, some of the things that I want to cover too is that I I don't want you to feel that that I'm trying to sell you on this experience, and you know that it becomes some driver point in your life that you whatever's going on in your life, you think if this is an easy checkout. Uh, I truly respect the fact that we are in this world for a purpose, and that purpose has a timeline on it. I love how Wayne Dyer kind of points out the fact that we, you know, we, we got our flight ticket and we got the return ticket with it as we came in. We So do we have the return ticket. And then it's just a matter of how we spend the time between uh, the arrival and the return. And, and it, it's really just that simple that we complicate it with emotions and all kinds of stuff of, you know, the dire necessities of success and all of the horrendous things that we do. It's really, really unhappy times to see people wasting the preciousness of these moments on just material gain. Uh, So it really makes a lot of sense. And I would like you to hear me definitely saying take time to smell the roses because the gift of life is precious. And under no circumstances would I want to think that somebody thinks that it's much rosier just to let it go. No, live every bit of it full and to the max. And we have someone calling in.
4: Uh, This is Jennifer Hillman. Um, Hello, Jennifer. And I I wanted to bring up, um, I did have a near-death experience. I was in a head-on collision with a drunk driver. And Uh um, I didn't go up a tunnel. I actually went into, like, a void. Of creation is what they explained it to, and I I felt that immense love and just joy, and then I simply heard your love and love, and then I was back in the car, and I just wanted to go back to sleep. I just wanted to go back because it was just so wonderful on the other side. But because of that experience, I tell everyone how beautiful they are, how blessed I feel, I know them. I respect and honor people a lot more than I did before. And um, I have a deeper appreciation for life because of that experience. And also from that, I I also want to bring up the experience with animals, because animals go through a lot of different things as well, and they're wonderful teachers. And I had a pedikita that actually was afraid to go to the other side for some reason anyway. I was blessed with going into a meditation and walking up the tunnel with her to let her know it's okay to go. She really wanted to stay with me because she was afraid I wasn't going to be okay without her. And um, I actually got to a point that I wanted to keep going. And um, I was told that I couldn't go any further because they knew I wouldn't come back. Uh So I came back and so did she. But. It was a few weeks later that she went, and she went peacefully and quietly. And I just said, I love you, and it's time to go, and her heart stopped. And I knew she was gone. That's wonderful. And, That's and wonderful. It, was just, it was a beautiful experience. Um, and then I have Yes, another. it is. And
1: it is a beautiful and very, very intimate moment.
4: The other thing I wanted to say was um, I, I met another dog. And I'm, I'm kind of like house sitting, I was taking care of some dogs. And one of the dogs, I kept looking at it. It was laying in the grass, and it kept saying, he's going to go in his sleep. Now, this dog was 14 years old, so I thought, okay, the dog's going to go in his sleep. That's a beautiful thing. It'll be easier for the owner. But I heard it for three times, And then the third night, this dog, for the first time ever, crawled into bed with me. And I said, okay, something's up. I'm going to stay there. That night, my dad passed in his sleep. Oh, wow. So the dog was letting me know about my dad, which was very helpful and very peaceful. And um, I felt really blessed that that animal gave me that message.
1: I, I totally agree with you. And I know that they're sensitive, and especially as far as native spirituality, we give the utmost attention to the messengers that God has set forth in the furs and the feathers and the scales that we see as our pets or our friends. So I thank you so much for the sharing. Thank you, and and journey safely, okay? All
0: right,
1: thank you. So basically what we want to look at is that most often sometimes you have people who will share that animals actually start to uh, show some signs of, of the impending death, and I know that amongst the indigenous communities sometimes the sound of the owl uh, brings out the fact that people are considering the fact that, you know, death, someone dies or passes at that time. But, uh, I also know that, that in their sensitivity, they have a reach onto the other side because as I grew more aware of being able to realize that my world was far more involved with the other side and with the unseen environment of our earth, uh, i begin to watch how the animals see so much more than we give them credit for and uh, especially the feline part of our uh, selection of pets the the, we call them the wisa the cats wisa has a greater sense of perception of definitely a lot of spiritual activity and people who have passed over and i guess that's why uh, you know most people see them as something to do with wiccan or the witchery that deals with some of those beyond life situations and sciences. So yes yes the animals are there with us and they love us and they see us through uh, a lot of what has uh, actually come into our lives. Some of the other things that I wanted to discuss is, is seeing how as far as I'm concerned what my near-death experiences have helped me with is when mothers are actually in the pregnancy state of uh, of of their lives and they start having these relationships and visitations and they will come and they'll ask me you know can i explain that well there is such a small transparent veil between what we consider our material world or our physical world and what is actually the spiritual world or the quantum level of our world uh that it's there, that we can, by measuring uh, with our sensitive uh, technologies, we can now measure the presence of uh, the unembodied or the disembodied, and that it it is a part of us, regardless of our own feelings. I kind of find it because of my own experiences and near-death experiences, when someone says something about ghost busters or, or ghosts or presence and stuff, I feel that's a derogatory term that we've given something that because we didn't understand we were afraid of and and i truly hope that as we move along in life and that science and religion begins to settle its differences and that sees that what we used to think was just not explainable has now become explainable to some greater level than before that we see peace in that and i would like to know that all of that be it even the ending of life, which we call death, or the beginning of life, which we call birth, that uh, we are born into the state of death. We live out our life dealing with how we're preparing ourselves or how we're actually spending that precious, precious time between those two events. And uh, I don't think that I know for myself, I don't see that as a, as a bad ending or a darkness or I fear no hell. And I realized that with the unconditional, magnificent love of the Creator, that as we live as God is, that that means we simply live to be the greatest and best person we can be. And that that's not about doing it just because we might die and go to hell. It's about making the maximum benefits of joy in life. And that as we come to some of these uh, pretty far extensive uh, Situations that actually happen as you come into this experience, that all it does is actually awaken in us a greater sense and presence of the one that is in all things. The beauty of life is so precious a gift, and I see it as a trust. So we want to guard it, we want to protect it, we want to live it to its fullest. And when there are these threatening interruptions or these circumstances that bring it on, It only enhances the value of living each moment to its fullest and knowing that each day in itself is a life and that we make sure we include all the people we love and all the wonderful and beneficial things that are important to us get done in that day. And that it is not always about how much money we put in our pocket at the end of the day. More than anything, it's about the love and experience we've had with the intimacy of being the closest to that which has created us and brought us to being. I say most often to people who talk to me, without there being a God, there is no me. And of God, I am all things. So I leave you with that message. Remember that I send you all good things. And this is Parisha. Talk to you soon.
0: Welcome you to know what's coming up, to get information on other episodes, and share your reflections and questions. You are important and you matter. Shades of Life. Listen on Anchor, https: colon forward slash forward slash anchor dot fm forward slash shades hyphen of hyphen life. Watch on YouTube, https. Colon forward slash forward slash tinyurl.com forward slash capital S letter O capital L I F E. Find out more on the blog site https colon forward slash forward slash S O L dot blogspot com. Share your input on Facebook https colon, forward slash, forward slash, www.facebook.com, forward slash, capital C, letter O, capital L, I, letter F, letter E, dot, sol. Stay tuned together as we make the difference. Expand your knowledge and you will transform your mind. Bruce H Lipton